neither tongue nor pen to express to you the happiness of such as are in Christ. When ye have sold all that ye have, and bought the field wherein this pearl is, ye will think it no bad market. For if ye be in him, all his is yours, and ye are in him. Therefore, because he liveth, ye shall also live. John fourteen nineteen. And what is that else but as if the Son had said, I will not have heaven except my redeemed ones be with me. They and I cannot live asunder. Abide in me, and I in you. O oh, sweet communion when Christ and we are through other, and are no longer two. Father, I will that those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, to behold my glory that thou hast given me. Amen, dear Jesus. Let it be according to that word. I wonder that ever your heart should be cast down if you believe this. I and they are not worthy of Jesus Christ, who will not suffer forty years' trouble for him, since they have such glorious promises. But we fools believe those promises as the man that reads Plato that read Plato's writings concerning the immortality of the soul. So long as the book was in his hand, he believed all was true, and that the soul could not die. But so soon as he laid by the book, he began to imagine that the soul is but a smoke of very vapor that perisheth with the expiring of the breath. So we at starts do assent to the sweet and precious promises, but laying aside God's book, we begin to call all in question. It is faith indeed to believe without a pledge, and to hold to the heart constant at this work. And when we doubt, to run to the law and to the testimony and stay there. Samuel Rutherford, seventh letter to Lady Kenmore, the earnest of the Spirit, communion with Christ, faith in the promises. So I've been trying to read one or two letters that Rutherford has sent to his congregation a day. I'm going to try to do that all year next year. That's cool. That's cool. But that was, so that, what I just read, was a letter from Samuel Rutherford. You can find the book on Banner Truth. Um, I mentioned it a few weeks ago that he apparently um, read to his congregation. I'm enjoying reading Rutherford, though I'm not the syllogistic type or the scholastic type. Um, it's just good to get back and read the old guys. Yeah. It's what we're trying to do here at Classic Cast, is read some of the classic books, which is why we're going through Lex Rex right now. Mm-hmm. Rutherford in general is a classic character. You know, we could talk about his biography, and that would be a classic conversation right there. Um, being a Puritan uh, among the classic people, us being Reformed Baptists, have a great appreciation for um, the Puritans. And here we are. Yeah, I like that you read that letter. It, 
we've kind of described the other side to Rutherford, probably first episode, a couple times. Um, I don't even remember how many episodes we're in. Not very many at this point. Number three, I think. Okay. Um, you know, there's this whole other side to him that, you know, if you just read Lex Rex, you think, oh, he's this guy. He's kind of like a, you know, hardcore, um, you know, what, what does the introduction, introduction say? Bare knuckle brawler or something like that. He calls somebody an idiot in this section. <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> yeah. And then you get, and then you're like, oh, well. If you read the letters of Rutherford, you're going to get a different picture, a different side of him. Uh, I was, you know, I was thinking about that the other day and kind of our, I think it's our social media age that people think that they need to have a brand like, uh, oh, I need to like really portray that this is how I am. This is who I am type of thing. And generally people are more complex than what a brand can encapsulate. Um, you just, you know, at the end of the, yeah, I understand people have different personalities and things like that, but at the end of the day, you can't just be one type of person. It's like life, life demands you to be a Swiss army knife, not a, you know, one trick pony. But, but the social media age has required, not required us, but incentivized kind of like a persona. Oh, this is the persona. This is the way I act. This is the way that I, you know, do things. Um, but, you know, reading these, you know, reading old guys helps us to see that, you know, they're not one dimensional. They're not, oh, Rutherford's the hammer. Somebody else's, you know, you know, somebody else's. The nail. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in yeah, this case, in this the case, prelate there's the, is the, the nail. nail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but somebody else is the the screwdriver or the you know whatever you know uh, in the in the toolbox. Uh, Luther was the same way. I mean, Luther I was, was to say yeah. Luther was mostly a hammer, um, but especially with things like like after he got married, he softened up a bit. Um, he kind of went crazy in his old age, but you know that's another thing. So these guys aren't just one-dimensional once you actually read them they're they're multi-dimensional they're more complex than oh yeah luther's like this yeah yeah rutherford clearly had a pastoral heart yeah and for anybody to say that he didn't based off of just portions of lex rex then they they um, well that's the impression you could get from lex rex for sure you could get that rutherford is this rude mean guy and that's not the case yeah that's not the case and and that's not a criticism of the book that's rutherford saying okay this is what this book needs to be it needs to be a punch against the divine right the idea of the divine right of kings yeah he understood that there's a time and a place for everything yeah so he needs to be in fourth gear in lex rex yeah and it makes sense that he's not polemical like in lex rex with his congregation when he's writing you know, individuals' letters. Exactly. If, you know, um, in fact, it would be kind of concerning if the letters read like Lex Rex. Yeah, that would be very concerning. <laughs> I couldn't imagine yeah, him yeah, writing right. to Lady Kenmore in this way. Yeah. So 
Um, that reminds me, you said the word prelate, and then I want to touch back to what you said. So a prelate is this, says on page 53 of the letters, in his 11th letter, there's a footnote about the prelate. The prelate, when the courts of high commission were erected in 1610, were invested with the powers of imprisoning and depriving nonconformists. That's what a prelate is. Oh, wow. So Waging war against the nonconformists. The, um, which is Rutherford. <laughs> really like the Jesuit in this realm. Just two nonconformists, maybe not as brutal as the Jesuits were. Um, but like right, kind of that. Right. Uh, I see, I yeah, see yeah, the yeah. connection you're making now. Yeah, Kind of that army captain out to get to those who don't conform. Right. Which would have been Rutherford. Not all the Puritans were nonconformists, but Rutherford for sure was a nonconformist as we see in this. And so that's why it's even funnier that he calls them popish prelates. Right. And actually in this section, he starts to call them Jesuits. So yeah, he's seeing the connection. You guys are yeah. basically Jesuits. And it's funny. He just flippantly starts. And when he making connections to Rome. Yeah. yeah. And when he finds the connection, he sticks with it. Like, Oh, wait a minute. It's like he doubles down when he when he comes out with, oh, wait a minute, I was writing senior Jesuit. Now I'm going to call you a Jesuit all the time. Yeah. But um, before, you know, somebody in our time shouldn't look at that and be like, that's so unnecessary. Man, they were living in desperate times in all areas of life at that point. But back to what you're saying, too, I think many men use Twitter as a, a tool. Um I don't think there's um, a lot of guys in a circle, or our circle especially, who are trying to build a brand. Now, I do think there are men trying to build a brand with social media, even right. trying to build like um, a Christian brand. Right. But I think that a lot of our guys also use Twitter and Facebook for a tool. Yeah. Um. And an outsider may look at that and think that they know everything about that person based off of how they use Twitter and Facebook. Right. And it's just not the case. Right. Right. No, I, I agree with that for sure. Um, but anyways, we have, this is actually our fourth session. It's not our third or fourth one. Here we have the question of whether or not Royal birth gives authority to kingship. And then number two, whether or not slavery or servitude is natural. There's that's those are um, at the root the two things that are talked about. So light light morning, light morning. So <laughs> is we're just, we're just gonna take on with Rutherford uh, kingly lineage and slavery. That's all. Yeah, that's that's all it is. Um, which I well, I'm not gonna get ahead of us. Um, just a few thoughts that come to my mind with those things. So, um, Deuteronomy chapter 17 reigns true yet again in this section. And what the reader is going to see when they're reading through Lex Rex is they're going to see that, um, and we've hit on this last week a little bit, that Rutherford is repeating himself, and Rutherford is bringing up topics that are not exactly relevant to our day. But Laying bricks. Yes, but he's laying bricks. And he's going to put the roof on top of that brick. Um, so Yeah, and another 500 pages. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and a lot of those bricks are going to look exactly alike. 
why couldn't you just put the roof on at the third layer? But he's laying bricks, and the first bricks that he's laid up to this point um, are that the people have the power to appoint a king, that they consent to a king and appoint a king. And he's repeated that in several different ways. And then the next brick, you remember, that we talked about last week, is since the people have the power, the people reserve that power. Um, it may be expressed in a different form because yeah. they're not going to appoint a second king while another king is reigning. Right. But they right. reserve the power to remove kings who do not act according to what they agreed to when they were elected as kings. So when a man becomes tyrant... Or no, let's not say agreed to. Let's say the oath he took or right. the... Yeah, that's a better term. The oath that he took in becoming king to serve the people. Right. And to serve people according to the divine natural law. Uh, Yeah, according to... And the positive laws that they institute in their land. Um, Yeah, I would go further than that in this context, though. Uh, Scripture. That. Yeah. Yeah. And that leads us to what we're talking about today is is a man born king just by right of birth the fact that he was in the womb of the queen at one time is he born with the given right to take over the throne after his father passes away and rutherford's answer in short is no it just kind of blew my mind because that's just how I always thought. Um, I I just always thought I just assumed that, and <clears throat> like oh yeah, that's just how it works. It's like oh if you've got a king, then his son takes over, and there's no one, nothing anybody can do about it, except for some political gamery like um, uh. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but oddly, uh, earlier this year, I watched a documentary on a Japanese samurai, and um, basically, the samurai, samurai in Japan, it was a time of absolute chaos. It was like Middle Ages Japan, and uh, uh, basically, it was these, uh, you know, tribes or provinces that were warring with one another, and eventually, basically, one guy almost took over the whole island, the whole country of Japan. Anyway, he dies. Um, It's actually a pretty sick story. He ends up dying. Uh, Before his death, he killed... uh, He killed the heir to his his kingdom Uh, because he was crazy and paranoid, and he thought his son was you know, out to get him or against him, so he just killed him. Well, before he died, he had another son. And, but he was obviously too young to take over. So he appointed uh, basically like this committee and said, okay, you're you're going to rule this committee. You're going to rule until my son grows up enough to take over the kingdom. Well, of course, that never happens because somebody, you know, now all of a sudden the committee can essentially do whatever they want. And they were like, well, different guys leverage power. The kingdom actually ended up breaking up in multiple provinces again because it became a power, kind of a power grab amongst the committee. 
um, so, you know, son never had anything to inherit because they're just kind of like, well, this is, this is done. Um, so I just thought that that's, I bring that up to say, oh, I just thought that that's the only way it worked, barring some political, basically, you know, political, you know, monkey business. Yeah. Some political strategy. But this, uh, this is enlightening me. This is good stuff. It enlightened me too. Now, Rutherford would say there are times where it is better to have royal birth. It saves on violence of that may come with election, saves on, saves on various things that in certain times and places that may be the best thing to do. But it's still left up to yeah. the to the natural law of the people, to the or the, the positive law of the land at that time. Um, so he's, he doesn't make a sweeping argument, but he is leaning much more heavily to saying that election is uh, more fitting for a king to, to bring a king into power. So he does give yeah. an answer, but he does give a caveat, small caveat yeah. on page 130 for yeah. certain times. Yeah. Um, that's, that's why I think with Rutherford's arguments, you end up abandoning a monarchy. It, you You end up, um, you end up with something that looks closer to what we have here in the States is a federal democracy. Um, or, a, sorry, federal republic. Now, Rutherford may, if Rutherford could show up today, um, he'd probably be like, yeah, this ain't it, chief. Yeah. <laughs> How about y'all get it's a, a kingly lineage going here? Yeah. <laughs> we need a little bit more of a king. <laughs> need a good king. It'd be great if we had King Asa right now. That'd be awesome. So there are two things, two reasons why Rutherford says that a king should be elected. Number one, scripture. That's specifically Deuteronomy chapter 17. Right. And then number two, the first appointment of a king. So um, he's going to repeat Deuteronomy 17 in several places. I'll go ahead and give you the first one. God could not command them to choose such a one for the king, and such a one who's sitting on the, this throne shall follow the direction of God speaking his word. If birth were that which gave him God's title and right to the crown. He's used Deuteronomy 17 several times to prove that kings are appointed right. by a mediary subordinate power, which is the people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then number two, he says on page 113, the first king of divine institution must be the rule, pattern, and measure of all the rest of the kings, as Christ makes the first marriage a pattern to all others. And Paul reduces the fir- the right administration of supper to Christ's first institution. Now, the first king is not a man qualified by naked birth, Deuteronomy 17 again. For then the Lord, in describing the manner of the king in his due qualifications, should seek no other but this, that is, royal birth. So those are good short summaries of why he thinks that royal birth uh, should not be the regular manner of appointing a king. And there's several other like logical uh, things, logical um, connections here. 
Like, what if a man has someone who is born an idiot, as he says on page 112? Uh, <laughs> let me just quote it because it's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. That. And if his firstborn shall be born an idiot and a fool, they are not obliged to make him king. For the obligation to the son can be no greater than the obligation to the father which first obligation is the ground, measure, and cause of all posterior obligations. Um, so if he's born a dummy, he doesn't have to be king, guys. Let's all relax here. Yeah, not. I don't want this to become a political podcast, even though we're talking about political... A political classic. Uh, you know, uh, political theology, yeah. But what if... Uh, but the real predicament that uh, the real problem is when the people uh, when the people elect themselves a fool <laughs> to be king that's a huge issue <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking from experience <laughs> that is a but serious problem because it's not like you just inherited something you can't change as a nation. It's like, this is, you pick the guy. Yeah. Like, Even worse. Know. You know, we, for the first one, we could at least have the excuse, well, he was born in that right. situation. Right. And getting rid of him isn't as easy as it should right. be. It's like, yeah. no, we picked that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Or that girl. Yeah. <laughs> Not saying that's our situation, yeah. but what if it was? That would be terrible. that would be berserk (laughs) but to your point rutherford says we should pick good kings right and he gives the standard for what a good king is on page 124 um he he says elections of governors would be performed as in the sight of god and in my weak apprehension the person coming nearest to god's judge fearing god hating covetousness and to moses moses's king one who shall read in the book of the law, and it would seem now that gracious morals are to us instead of God's immediate designation. The genuine, number three, the genuine and intrinsic end of making kings is not simply governing, but governing the best way in Mm. peace, honesty, and godliness. Therefore, these are to be made kings who may most expeditely procure this end Neither is it my purpose to make him no king who is not a gracious man. Only here I compare title to title. Not only should we make a king, but we should make a good king. Yeah. And I would say, I know that there are Christians out there that would say that we shouldn't vote. I would say that we should vote, and we should vote in this way. The man who's going to most yeah, expeditely. Because um, uh, we, you know, we're, we're not electing a pastor to rule over us in this nation like we are in a church, which uh, don't hear me wrong, not that we elect pastors. But um, in, in in some ways you do. Yeah, you yeah. congregational, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that kind of stuff. But yeah. not like, it's not like we're going to a, a, a voting yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, and the, it's not like there's a, a runoff between two men. Right. Uh, and then the church... Uh, well, sometimes actually that does happen if two two men are trying to get the same gig, same job. But in a reformed, uh, elder-led context, you're not having two guys in a campaign for 
uh, lead spot, know, so to say, uh, or even, even or, or any spot, right? Like, any spot of power, yeah, whatever, yeah. But you are a king, according to Rutherford. We are electing a king in that way. That that'd be the best way, right? Yeah. We got Rico and we got Ronald. Which one you want? Right. Let them campaign. Let them, you know, fight it right. out intellectually. Right. right. And that's, that's why I'm saying Rutherford's arguments are played out. Basically, leave a monarchy behind. Yeah. And I think that that's why in England or in the UK today, you still have the royal family, but the prime minister is. Uh, you know, the the kind of the the parliamentary form of government and the prime minister. Yeah, the the monarch is less and less running the show. Yeah, so like it's because they're because reformed Protestantism. You know, uh, five hundred, you know, four hundred years ago, it's these kind of arguments that. I, I think that there's no way around it. This is going to uh, leave monarchy behind. Yeah. And that's essentially what it did. And those who were more eager to move to America. <laughs> yeah. Move to the new world, the new colonies. And really with Rutherford's train of thought, to your point, his train of thought is really going to diminish the idea of a monarchy greatly. That's what. That's a better way to put it. Because it's if diminish, yeah, yeah. If if he were to turn around and say, "No, royal birth is a true thing," that gives substantial power to a monarchy, yeah. because yeah. the family keeps the power. Right. But if if the community is committed to these claims, the nation, yeah, then monarchy, like you're saying, five hundred years from now, monarchy either is not going to be a monarchy at all or it's going to look quite different than what a true monarchy is. I don't know UK politics well at all. But, and I mean this in no disrespect, but the royal family just seems like a figurehead now. It's just like, okay, well, it's kind of like the sentiment of a nation that is important but not... uh, uh, but for figure more figurative reasons than actual authoritative yeah, that's a good point. reasons. When you start seeing the king make the um, GQ magazines that you see in the Walmart checkout line, it's like they're almost a reality TV show now. You, what is what is that guy's name? Henry? Harry. Harry. Harry Meghan, king Harry. Yeah, We're they, following their marriage and stuff. Yeah, they're they're kind of outcast though. Well, but then you have the other side, the more clean-cut guy. Kind of looks like Peyton Manning. Um, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. What's that guy's name? Yeah. I thought that was Harry. No, no, no. no that's not Harry's Harry. The, Harry's the red-headed guy that made, yeah. uh, what's her name? The I think she's a model or actress or something. Light-skinned lady. Then, I don't know his name, but um, he seems more like a an official king oh, yeah. in the making he's, yeah you he's, know he's professional and the the yeah. the weird magazines aren't following his life so closely yeah no. but with harry it's not, like <clears throat> not here i mean probably in the uk i'm sure but more politically too that they're talking about him but to your point that's like yeah they're kind of now just doing that to number one maintain their roots 
This is who we are as a nation, who we have been historically, because England is way more historically literate than America is, I would say, for sure, because they have way more history to um, go back on. Would you agree with that? I don't know about the population being historically literate. It's a it's a way older nation, so you've got. I think that's the point you're trying to make. Is the history just has yeah. so much more history? That the nation and, has so much more history. That and two things that I notice about people who are from there. So I met some people there in Turkey, and I heard a podcast on them. Number one, they have a way better vocabulary than we do. Number two, they have um, more appreciation for the past. At the very least, a, a greater appreciation for the past. For their kings and stuff. Yeah. And so for them to turn yeah, around yeah. and all of a sudden have elections, yeah. that would be, that would um, kind of make the engine fall apart. And, but. Absolutely. Well, they, they do though. Yeah. They not, but not for king. They have elections for parliament and, uh, and prime minister and things like that. Which is probably where their true political power lies. Yeah. Yeah. The prime yes. minister's running the country. Yeah. And parliament. Yeah. The way I, I mean, as I understand it, if we have any listeners who follow the royal family, please enlighten us. Yeah, come on the if yeah if you if you do come on the classic cast, we'll let you talk. Have for a, a few I actually have a that. friend. I have a friend who's kind of, um, it's it's actually Ariel's friend from high school, but I claim her now too. Uh, she's pretty informed about this stuff. I'll ask her, say, hey, how does this actually work? Yeah. That would be a great question. But but a couple points a couple quick points here before we move on. One, I, I agree when you say that, you know, as Americans we're not voting on a pastor, so we we need to vote on the person that but that's a realist that's a realist perspective. That's saying, okay, um we don't get to, you know, nominate we don't get to um decide who's on the ballot. And so we have to make the best the best decision given to us um you know kind of the argument of you know we're always voting for the lesser of two evils and things like that from an idealistic perspective though it's um that that argument uh tells me that it's kind of like from one perspective we may already be too far gone as a nation um, like if we're having, if we're saying, um, yeah, we're not, you know, we're not voting in a pastor. And so we can't expect, you know, we shouldn't expect to only vote for, you know, these sorts of things or this sort of character, these sorts of ideals. I, I agree that we should do that because, you know, the older I get, the more realistic I, I become about the world. Um, but in light of that realism, it's just like, okay, well, we're already, you know, too far, you know, too far gone in a, in a certain way to try to be more specific. Again, I don't want this series on Lex Rex, um, or even particularly this, this episode become to become about politics, but it's like, um, you know, in some regard, if you're super excited about Trump, uh, which I was se- the the second time around, so I'm not. Now a, we're I'm for not, sure yeah, yeah, booted yeah. off of Spotify. Yeah, so I'm not. Thanks, Danny. <laughs> maybe not Spotify, but Apple, but Apple possibly. Um, um, 
but the point I'm making is, so I'm not an anti-Trumper or never-Trumper or anything like that, but if if Trump's your guy, it's kind of like, okay, if he's if he's the guy, then we are, it's like we are way far gone. For sure. And I'm, I'm not expecting the president to be a pastor. But there should be moral quality. But, but there, it's kind of like, if this is who we think is kind of the, the best man for the moment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're way down the track of cultural decline, uh, than, than, uh, than what was previously thought. Yeah, yeah for sure. My point earlier was this, and um, that's not a knock on his presidency or that he didn't do great right. things in my opinion or anything like that. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> You know, I voted for him for a second term and things like that. So, anyway, it's just it's just the point of Rutherford saying, yeah, this is who we're, you know, this is who you should look for in a king. And we're at a point in our culture where it's just like, yeah, but really at this point, we'll just take this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just take law and order. Yeah, we'll, we'll just take the bare minimum. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if, if that's what we've come to, then it, it's not. Not the really best outlook. Yeah, it's like we that's what, that's why I subscribe to the view that politics is downstream from culture, and this is what this is inevitably what you have what you well to the to the point over earlier. It's just like yeah, we're in a real problem if you if the nation willingly elects a fool. Um, so you've got to change the culture. You've got to change the nation before you can change who they're going to affirm or submit to or vote for as governor um, which is why the gospel is so necessary hey, yeah. even in politics yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. there's no legislation that's going to fix the nation now there's a legislation that can really make the nation much better that those are right but that's downstream downstream that that's yeah that's and to start with that is putting the cart before the horse right and expecting the cart to pull the horse right backwards right, right. and that's why the home is uh, is more important than uh, the the presidency. Yeah. Another real quick point. I've totally derailed us, but then I'll I'll, I'll be done for the day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're good, man. I enjoy it. Another real quick, real quick point. <clears throat> we were talking with some family, and uh, uh, I for, I forget how it came up. I wasn't there. Uh, in fact, Ariel was there you know, talking with family and we were talking about, uh, actually a friend of ours who's having issues, a couple, not issues at their church, but they had to jump through some hurdles at their church or work through some things because they were trying to move away from a woman leading music to, to, to a male in the church. And a family member said, what, you know, what's the deal with that? You know, it's, Hey, it's about to be 2023. Why are, why are you still hung up on that person was in the yeah. church, the family member? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no, no. Family member, uh, family members out of informatic. Yeah, okay, I got yeah. you. Uh, Your family members though. They're my family. Members, okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. My family members. And, um, but she went on to say, she was like, yeah, but I don't think a woman should be president. Um, and then, uh, again, I wasn't there. But a point was made 
a point was made where it's just like, yeah, well, that's where the, that, that's kind of where, um, it wasn't worded this way. This is my recap of the situation, but that's where the fundamental disagreement is, is that I think the person leading music at your church is way more important than the president of the United States. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> You're dropping bombs, Danny. Yeah. And so it's like, don't do it to him, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the, the, that's the fundamental difference of perspective is, okay, you're, you know, you don't think leading that tr- music at church is any big deal, but you wouldn't vote for a woman for president. And this is a woman, by the way. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't vote a woman for president because you don't think a woman should, should fulfill that role. And, you know. Proof to what you're saying. Say that a woman should not be president in a large crowd. And then turn around and say that a woman should not lead worship in a large crowd. You'll get burned at the state quicker for saying the woman should not lead worship right. than you will to say the right. woman should not. Yeah, I mean, oh. right, right. Oh. Yeah, that's Man. the yeah. So go uh, ahead and do it to so, him. Yeah, so you're the 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 home is more important than than who's elected president, dude. You're you're preaching now. Um, the the government the the pastors and government of your church is way more important than who's elected president is because that's uh, that is the God given culture shaping institutions that will then lead to mm. the, the state of the nation. Dude, the the come nation. on, man. And I, I got this Zateo coffee in me. You're firing me up. <laughs> Shout out to Zateo. Shout out to what you just said. Here's the thing I've noticed, too. You got hot, t- hot takes. Hot takes. By, Those are flaming by hot Zateo. takes. Not a sponsor yet. First off, number one, let me make this qualification. The Bible loves the quiet spirit. Of the yeah. woman. What a beautiful thing that is. That's a short qualification. I'm not going to chase that rabbit. Number two, you have men, and I've, I've heard this ever since 2020. I've heard good, solid men who are talking about how this country, quote unquote, needs to be taken back. Da 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 da. You know, it's headed in a corrupt place. We need a good president, this and that and the other. But it's coming from the same men who, first off, need to take back their homes right. to be the leader of their home because their wife is the is leading them. It's like, how are you going to take back the country when you don't even have your home? Right, right, right. You know, and, yeah. But I'm not going to go down that road. I, I, I better not. You've just fired me up on yeah. that. You did yeah. that. that the, blame, like, the blame yeah. is on you, my, my friend. Well, that's why the scripture says for... Um, uh, for pastors that they must manage their household well. Yes. If that's not happening, how are, how are they, you know, how are they to put a management over the household of God or in the Proverbs 31 passage about the godly woman that she's praised in the gates. Um, well, her husband has a place of respect and authority at the city gates. It's kind of like where the old school city hall would meet. Um, and she's being respected and praised there. And so it shows her part in her husband being respected and having influence um, uh, among the city. And um, so it, the same principle applies there. So this guy's in leadership amongst his city uh, because he's got a good wife and his household is managed, is managed well. Yes. So, and I, I would say, to bring it back to Rutherford, this is what Rutherford's advocating for. It was like, okay, you, 
you give, uh, you willingly submit to the king and give him authority uh, because he is governing in a godly way. If he if he has a son who's a fool, it's like don't give him that. Don't give him that uh, submission and authority. Don't appoint don't appoint him as a king. You <laughs> you don't you don't want to do that to yeah, yourself. Yeah. Let me make this he's point. Not, he's not managing his household well. Therefore, he's not governing the nation well. Exactly. And we are to elect. Yeah. Men who will do it well. Right. Back to the, right. the, the women being leaders type thing. Um, a lot of times the Lord appoints women because there is no man to do the leadership. You think of Deborah. Right, right, right. Like there, that was a sign of judgment in the land. Isaiah chapter 3. Women yeah, being yeah, in leadership yeah. roles is a judgment to men. Yeah, and it's des- not, desperate times call for desperate right. measures. And there's a lot of, so my point is, there in, in the family realm. Yeah, there, pray, and praise God for Deborah. Yes, praise God praise for his the de- Lord for her. And praise God for his deliverance through, you know, yes, uh, through Deborah. For sure. When it comes to the family, there are a lot of uh, ladies that would love for their husband to lead them to be the leader over them. But a sign of judgment in the land is that the men won't step up to the plate to do the leading. They're well, it's part, amen, but it's also part of the curse of the fall. Yes. Is that, is that your desire shall be after or against him, the Lord said to Eve in the garden, but he shall rule over you. Yeah. And so there's this, there, there's this natural tension that the gospel redeems in the Christian household and the Christian family um, where, uh, you know, where the Christian household should conform themselves to Christian marriage should conform themselves to uh, the, the pattern of, of Christ and his church, Ephesians five um, and display the mystery of the gospel um, in, in that way. Um, but just from a natural human standpoint, um, uh, men are either going to want to be tyrants or lazy bums, passive playing video you know, games pa- all the time. You know, pacifist uh, or passive in their homes, and uh, and women aren't going to want to submit. That's the, uh, you know, that's the, that's kind of like the sinful bent yep. of of the relationship between husband and wife in humanity that. Personally, I'm always having to check, uh, and I'm not meaning that in the way that, oh, personally, I'm always having to put my wife in line. That's what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm always having to check the, uh, both those two ditches of kind of sinful bent when it comes to um, my role as a husband of being too heavy-handed or, um, uh, pa- you know, passive and passive in my responsibility as yeah. head, of the, head of the home. Yeah, and a lot of times that's displayed in the fact that, and speaking from personal experience, looking at myself in this, a lot of times we as men want the uh, privilege of being the leader without taking any of the duties of being a leader. Right, you right. Know, we want to be there, the, the quote-unquote leader of the household, but we don't want to actually lead our wives right, spiritually. Right. We don't want to serve them. We don't want to do all the yeah. hard work that it takes. Man, I would... I would much rather sit on the couch after a long, hard day of work than lead my wife in, in my sinful nature. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm be, tired. Be active, and all these, yeah, be active in the yeah. home. 
But then I want to turn around and say, yeah, but you know, the, the woman is, is to be submissive and stuff. We, we hear a lot of men preaching hard about how the woman is called to be, the wife is called to be submissive to the husband, but we don't hear the men preaching hard to themselves or practicing hard yeah. to be that leader, to, to love them. You know, think of the high calling. We're to love our wives as ourselves. Mm-hmm. But anyways, man, yeah. what a rant we could go on with that. That's an episode in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Number two. <laughs> I, I forgot about this. It, talk about, This is really going to lead us down some trails, but I think they're applicable trails to what yeah. we're talking about. Because I don't think we should fault ourselves because Rutherford is writing at a specific time, a specific context that doesn't look exactly like ours. Right. But we're taking his principles and applying it to our land. Right. So right. I want our listeners to know that we're not just chasing rabbits here. We're making it look like real time, real life for us. And we're chasing rabbits too. And, we, <laughs> and we're just rolling with yeah, it. Yeah, just rolling with it. If you don't like us just rolling with it, forgot what we're about. Number two, is the conqueror the rightful king of the land? Okay, re- just real quick before you go go there. Um, to uh, to uh, a king's son inheriting the kingdom in that way, there's being heir to the kingdom. I like a line that Rutherford said. Um, he says, if that's the way it worked, then why couldn't the son sell the kingdom? Mm, yes. You know, if that, if that's really how it was, what's stopping the son from, you know, from saying, Hey, this is pretty profitable. I could sell it to somebody. So it's not an inheritance of ownership. Like, like I hope to, you know, give a, some sort of inheritance to my children someday. It's not something that they possess. It's, it's the nation isn't theirs to do with what they wish. It's a specific role with a specific responsibilities uh, to fulfill. The king does not own the, the nation in that, in that regard. So, you know, he, he didn't, you know, from what I read, uh, listeners, full disclosure, um, my, my preparation plan this week got derailed. So Cole's doing the heavy lifting this morning. But from what I read, he didn't go into that aspect in depth. For me, it was just a couple of lines in part of the, in, in, uh, in, in one of the chapters here. It was just like, yeah, what, if that were the case, you know, what's stopping the son from just selling the kingdom that he inherited? What a weird like, situation that would be. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, he's pointing out the fact that it couldn't be done. He doesn't have the right. Yeah. He doesn't have the right. He just can't, can't fit it. it in your mind. Yeah. Therefore, you can't fit it in your mind that he's born a king. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he does give instances of when it is okay for, or maybe more um, efficient fitting for a, a man to be born king. But those are right. He rare gives, he instances. Gives pro, he gives pros and cons. Like, um, uh, I don't know if he gives this example, but uh, like like Solomon. Uh, taking uh, the throne after David. Well, God, God works in ways throughout the Old Testament that the natural person you would think doesn't get doesn't get the inheritance. Uh, mm-hmm. The younger son often, uh, the older son who would, would should get the inheritance or whatever, often gets gets overlooked for uh, the younger son in, in various aspects. Yeah. Um, uh, but no one was complaining when Solomon 
uh, took the throne. It was a it was a great you know it was a great thing because he uh, uh, because he followed after his father and ruled uh, ruled in a, a a godly way, governed in a godly way. Uh, but the people still, to Rutherford's point, uh, there was still a installation affirmation process. Uh, he wasn't just he didn't he didn't appoint himself king, mm-hmm. even though he was the the heir. He was the next in line. the The nation still uh, affirmed him or appointed him king, anointed him king, or whatever. Um, there are some kings. Just in short order, there are some kings in Israel's history, especially when the nation divides after Solomon, that the people reject. Rehoboam. Yeah. Yeah. Rehoboam. The the very next one. Yeah, according to the prelates. Yeah, according to the prelates argument, Rehoboam has divine right to the kingship and the people rejected him. Yeah. And he had to flee for his life, rightfully so, because he was an evil king. Right. And right. the Lord the people, raised up Jeroboam to yeah. be king over the people. Yeah, to 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 Rutherford's one of Rutherford's main points of the whole book, the people should have rejected Rehoboam. Yes. It would have been ungodly to uh to keep Rehoboam. It would have been it would have been uh, uh a, a a bad thing. It it would have been uh you know, back to his main point is that uh, ungodly, tyrannical power is not authoritative. Right. It, it's it, it should be rejected right. as any should, sort of yeah. authority. Yeah. Should be should, you should, should not yeah. consent to that. Yeah. Um, second thing that he talks about that we may not talk about as much as we're going to talk about the third thing um, is the conqueror the rightful. Uh, heir to the throne, the rightful king over a people, and the answer is no. Same same reasons. So we're holding on to the same argument. Power lies in the subordinate authority of election lies in the subordinate power, which is the people right. to appoint a king. That God uses a people to appoint a king. Um, so he says this mere conquest on page one thirty three by the sword without the consent of the people is no just title to the crown. Argument number one, because the lawful title that God's word holds for forth to us, besides the Lord's choosing and calling of a man to the crown, is the people's election. Deuteronomy 17 again. So we're holding on to that gold standard text. All that had any lawful calling to the crown in God's word, such as Saul, David, Solomon, were called by the people. And the first lawful calling is to us a rule and pattern to all lawful callings. And then number two, and this is the funny one to me, the second argument for why conquest is not a just right to the crown is that you can't turn a conqueror into a king. A conqueror is by nature a conqueror. He says this. This is funny. Um, He cannot come by mere violence to be a patron, a shield, and a defender of me, through violence. How funny it would be if the very man who committed violence against me is all of a sudden the man who becomes my protector from other violence. Right, right. It's like it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and then he continues that on, on page 135. For the genuine end of a conqueror as a conqueror is not peace, but fire and sword. So to... Rutherford's point, a king 
is a man of peace. A conqueror is a man of mayhem. How are we to look at somebody who takes over another land as somebody who all of a sudden is just this man of virtue and peace, law and order? I mean, he, he completely overturned our law and order. Now we expect him to give maintain. and maintain law and order? Rutherford says this, if God changed his heart from being a bloody devastator to become a father, prince, and feeder of the people, now he is not a violent conqueror, and he came to that meekness by contraries, which is the proper work of the omnipotent God, and not proper to man who, as he cannot work miracles, so neither can he lawfully work by contraries. Oh, that's good. That's so good. Uh, he's laying this argument to rest. Unless, unless the conqueror is conquered by God. Right. Yeah. Unless he is completely transformed by the renewing work of the Spirit salvifically, yeah. and also the, the, the common work of the omnipotent God. But there has to be this miraculous transformation because a conqueror is not a king. Right. You know, a, a, a man who is a good king, who has been appointed by the people, is not a man who goes out and conquers other lands. He's a man of peace, yeah. a man of uh, order and instruction and good legislation. Alexander the Great was not a good king. He was a great conqueror, yeah, but he was not a good king. Well, and that's why I think historically, I would want to, uh, uh, I would want to run this by a historian, but I think historically, when you have people conquering when you have a conqueror when he when he takes over a new place um he doesn't uh that new place isn't full citizens they're restricted in their uh you know their second class citizens or they're they're restricted in their uh rights freedoms avail you know um uh participation in government things like that so um this isn't a real example, but let's say a nation has, uh, you know, where people, let's say there's, they, they vote on some things, but then this nation conquers the next one. It's not like that original one is going to say, okay, now everybody here can vote too. It's just like, no, they're, no, they don't, they didn't like being taken over. So, right, <laughs> you know, why do, you know, they're just going to vote against us. Uh, you know, just a theoretical example there. Uh, but to my, you know, just to my cursory knowledge, you know, conquerors aren't giving nations that he's conquered the availability to now participate in the government. It's like, no, we're, you know, basically, yeah, you're just ours now or you're, you know, you're mine now. It's It's just the way that it is. Yeah. And to that point, Anytime a nation claims to have the gospel of their government, like our government is the government, therefore let's spread our form of government to the rest of the world, that's when we should really halt the brakes. Because that's a form, actually, of conquest, I would, I would argue, personally. Mm. So we, we should not, I mean, I love democracy. Yeah. I love well, actually I I'm growing to not like democracy. Power of the people. I mean, look how it, foolish our yeah. people are. 
Federal Republic. Federal Republic. There should be a vetted democracy. Like, but I'm not going to chase that rabbit. We should not be on this low-key conquest to spread democracy to the rest of the world. To a people that don't want democracy. Their history has never known it. It's foreign to them. The people would not even consent to a democracy. Um, So when a nation starts to do that, it's like, hold on, brother. Right. This is, and that's a a form of conquest. Therefore, like, you can't go into a land and totally subvert their form of law and order, and which is kind of um, like um, civil violence. Yeah. And then, oh, by the way, I'm your protector. I'm the good guy here. Here's your um, yeah. government that you're going to yeah. abide by. Yeah, political reform, back to an earlier point we were making, political reform happens, like, um, I'm just most familiar with the history of Christianity. So political reform happens after Christianity has taken root. Or, for instance, for instance, in Rutherford's context here, after the Protestant Reformation has taken root in a nation. That wasn't, first and foremost, a political activity, though politics were involved because of the relationship between church and state in these nations. Um, but it wasn't primarily a political, uh, a political revolution or reformed. It's that these things are downstream from, from doctrine. Um, and so, again, uh, you know, another, uh, maybe, maybe this is potentially another kind of hot take, but the reason your point is so true and so valid is because, uh, you know, there's kind of debate in America right now or a lot of criticism of Western, quote, Western colonialism, um, but it's really the secularist that are trying to colonize uh, uh, other nations, quote, from your, from your perspective, and they think it can be done, or they're doing it by putting in a, a secular democracy. Oh, let's just put this, interject this form of government uh, in nation X. And it's just like, well, of course it's not working, and it's never going to work, because uh, you don't know where these ideals for a federal democracy or federal republic came from because you've gutted them mm. from the de- from the doctrine and theology that we're talking about through through Lex Rex. Such a good point. And so you're trying to put a quote, air quote, Christian form of government um uh on a nation that that uh that don't think like Christians because they're not the the culture has not been built by the Ju- Judeo Christian worldview the by the scriptures the the judeo christian history uh in mo, in our most specific context the christian history <clears throat> and so that's why it's not that's why it doesn't work is cuz you're or that's that's uh, why your point is valid is because you're trying to impose a by secular colonization a form of government that has no root foundation worldview uh that the people know understand have adopted or believe behind it it's like trying to build a house on the sand it, it, yeah that's exactly what it is it, there's no foundation to build i've never seen a country try that but if they did try that i could see how it would collapse in about well, 11 days i mean well 
I mean, I, I'm about to dip into politics again, but it's so funny. You're we, like, we are we're not going to yeah, make this episode yeah. political, but, but here's a doing, bunch of yeah, political but, rants. But here, here's what, yeah, <laughs> I I think we're we have tried that and are trying that. It's a joke. Oh, okay. Oh, you were being sarcastic because I was trying I'm not little, to I'm be still political, a slow. openly political. <laughs> Which is why I said eleven days. <laughs> oh, oh, I see, I see. I'm catching up now. Yeah, yeah. I'm there you picking, go, I'm, Danny. I'm now picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> After that second sip of coffee, you got it now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do better. I realize, <laughs> I realize, I realize I'm an idiot. The first half of these things. So. Let me just, since you opened the door to this, let me just say this: I don't buy it when any country says they're trying to advance their form of government to other countries. I just don't buy that, and they try to make it sound um, nice and like it's an honorable cause. I think it's a silly cause. I think I, trying to spread democracy to the world is a silly cause. What if China came out and said, we're trying to spread communism to the world? They are. Well, they are, for sure, but they're not coming out and saying it. Because it is a, an imperialistic agenda. Trying to take over the world, in a sense. When any time a government, a superpower government, says we want our form of government to be over... X people to be over these people. I could see why the people who are dealing with that would look at that as a very imperialistic agenda. Would look at that as like, um, uh, what it, what would be the word for it? Like like a bad thing to do. Yeah, I wouldn't want a foreign government to come in and say, "Look, we're going to teach you how to do it." No, but um, I understand what you're saying. I'm not. I'm not for. Kind of like in the same way, I believe in church autonomy. And so I don't think that there's, you know, a church down the road that can come in and tell us with any authority. Uh, I mean, they can tell us what they want, but they don't have any authority to say, hey, this is what you should or should not or must. Uh, uh, they can tell us what we should or should not do from their perspective, but this is what you must or must not do. It's just like, okay, well, thank you for that. And you know, have a nice day, and we're at the end of the day, our church is going to do what we want. Um, or uh, that's not not just what we want, but what we think is best according mm-hmm. to scripture and things like that. So, in that in that sense, I'm against a foreign nation. You know, coming in and saying, "Hey, this is how you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna take over, quote, take over your country, or you know, set up a new government for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." Um, even from the standpoint, if I didn't have good principles behind doing that, like what you're, what you're trying to, um, articulate here or what you're articulating here, even just out of practical, it it just doesn't work. You can't impose, you can't impose a government on a people. It it doesn't work that way. Especially an empty secularized government, as you said earlier. Exactly. Yeah. But do I think that, um, uh, do I think that you should promote ideals uh, around the world, uh, especially ideals that um, are downstream from a, a Christian heritage or results because of a Christian heritage? Uh, for instance, do I think this Lex Rex, do I think Chinese Christians should be reading this? Absolutely. Um, even though they don't live in the context, they don't have the Christian lineage, Christian heritage that, that Rutherford's uh, able to write this book in. 
uh, it's because he's deriving a, a view of government from uh, from God's revelation. And that's why we're able to take it and apply it to our context. Should these ideals that result in certain perspectives, a certain political theology, do I think that should be exported? Absolutely. But, I, but again, that's not... Um, that can't be opposed from kind of like a, uh, to use kind of your language, uh, colonizing from like a colonization, uh, a, a governmental colonization standpoint, no. Um, but should it be, uh, but should it be promoted? Absolutely. Yeah. In, in my view. Yeah. In my view, abs- absolutely. For sure. So many things that I could say, but don't want to, <laughs> don't need to get to that, yeah. that, uh, category. Um, so the question is, Danny, is servitude natural? Yeah, this, this is a very important chapter. Uh, I didn't read it, so you're going to have to, what would be your answer? Um, what, uh, w- um no. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. So and I think uh, from what I skimmed, uh Rutherford starts making a good case against that. Yes, he does. Yeah. And that that in short, I think that uh, I didn't read the chapter, so you're about to enlighten me. I just I just skimmed it. But in short, my view on it currently before Rutherford either informs me or changes my mind um, um, is ju- kind of similar to what Rutherford's arguments are. And okay, you know, his arguments taking to the logical conclusion or, or if you just play it out, um, it's going to basically uh, be uh, less monarchical and more uh, uh, Basically, his arguments will leave a monarchy behind. It doesn't make much sense once, once, once played out over time. Uh, that's kind of my view on slavery or servant. Uh, what does he call it? Servitude or servitude? Yeah, servitude is okay. Um, I think if I think, and we see this historically as Christianity has borne out through a nation over time. Uh, that's actually led to the liberation or the the decline of slavery or servitude. Yeah. So you know Christianity taking you know playing out in a nation or playing out over time. Actually, it leaves slavery slavery behind. Yeah. And so does his argument about um, royal birth. His conclusion on royal birth leaves servitude behind. Um, um, servitude birth. Uh, Oh, that makes sense. That so makes to sense. say that yeah. a man is not born king is right. also to say that a man is not born slave. It's not a natural thing. Um, now, he does bring up the point that there are cases such as with the family. Right. That the, so it's not. So he's making the case that well, that makes so much sense. So there's not like a strict classism or caste, like maybe like a caste right. system like, you, caste system like we see in uh, um, India. Right. That, oh, you're born in this class or caste. You can't. You know, that's just your natural, by, by natural birth, you're, this is, 
what you are. This is who you are. Exactly. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, and that's why I like. Sounds like a great chapter. <laughs> <laughs> you you read Rutherford and you see him repeating himself over and over and over. But then you get to his next point and see how his repetitions yeah, yeah. were so important to right. his next argument. Right. Like, right. why is he repeating himself on royal birth? How is power in the people, power in the people to elect a king, power in the people elect a king. And then he turns around and he says, oh, but oh, by the way, you see how there is no power in royal birth. Therefore, there is no power in servitude birth. It's right. like, man, okay, I see what you did there. Right. Now, there are a few things that he points out. Like, when a child is born, a child is not at the same level of hierarchy is the father, that the father is the yeah. leader of the child. Yeah, so, yeah. and you think of Galatians chapter three, you know, what is it? As long as he is a child, he's an heir. He's mm-hmm. um, in many, many fashions, no different than the slave. I mean, he's under the father, he's under rule and authority. Right. But right. Rutherford says, even still, like that father has no power of life and death over the right. kid. So right. the father is the leader, but the father has limited power and right. it's not a kingly power like right. a, a, and and it's not a slavery servitude that the child is yeah, in yeah it's not ultimate uh yeah not ultimate right. authority and then number 2 or like comp- or comprehensive authority yeah there's a natural form of servitude that kind of um is built in and embedded into our society and that you'll have men who are much wiser than others right or men who are much stronger than others. Right. Um, say you're on an island and you're trying to survive. The man who's the strongest and smartest and most apt for survival in the land is going to end up being the leader over the rest of them because your life depends on it. Yeah. You know, if we're if we had a plane crash like the the show Lost, first few seasons are pretty good. Um, if there's a plane crash and we're trying to build a civilization, couldn't I could never find it. So couldn't find it. I get it. I picked up on that quicker. You know, I'm going to, if we have a plane crash and Dan Johnson and his sons are on that plane with us, his family's going to take over pretty quickly. Naturally so, because his son, his oldest son, hiked like 30 straight days by himself. That's legit. And they just had drop offs for food and stuff for him and stuff. He, he is. Like airdrops. They, yeah, pla- yeah. they sent planes or. No, they, they would. <laughs> they would drive. Drop, drop food out of the sky in a parachute. <laughs> no, man. But seriously, they would drive and at these March locations and drop off food. But they had no way to contact. Them. Oh, that's cool. That man is naturally going to rise to the occasion more than I am in the woods. I met, I met him. He's unassuming. I would have never. Yeah. I would have never thought that. That dude's hardcore. So, um. The weaker, as he says in 142, is to be guided by the stronger, which cannot be denied to have some ground in nature. But there is no ground for kings by nature here. Therefore, there is no ground for servitude by nature here. Right. Um, He gives us four good arguments, four assertions, actually, as to why slavery... First off, is a bad thing. Second off, is is not rooted in nature. Number one, because slavery is malum natura, a penal evil and contrary to nature and a punishment of sin. Number two, slavery should not have been in the world if man had never sinned. 
no more than there could have been buying and selling of them, which is a miserable consequence of sin and a sort of death when men are put to the toiling pains of the hireling who longs for the shadow and under iron harrows and saws and to hew wood and draw water continually. (laughs) I'm going to let you keep going, but Rutherford is dropping bombs, bombs, man. This is why it's a classic. Number three, the original of servitude was when men were taken in war to eschew a greater evil, even death. The captives were willing to undergo a lesser evil, slavery. And then number four, a man being created according to God's image, he is res sacra, a sacred thing, and can no more by nature's law be sold and bought than a religious and sacred thing dedicated to God. Mm. It's been flanked. That's legit. We, this is, I'm so glad you picked this book. I probably would have never read this book, man. So the depiction of American slavery in certain movies and stuff is that many of the slaveholders had Christian principles as to why they were slaveholders. I, I would, we cannot say that as a sweeping argument, especially after reading Frederick Douglass's biography. Go ahead. Uh, um no go go ahead so some have said and i think this is erroneous that the slaveholders in american history forced their slaves to have these christian principles to which is to go to show that the reason why they were slaveholders to begin with is because they're christian that's so false first off it's false because that is anti-christian as we just read from rutherford but secondly you read frederick Douglass's account and the slaveholders did not want the slaves to have church. These slaves right. were actually trying to get together, being right. Um, right. Siemens Rigeliosa, forgot right. what the, naturally religious. The slaves were trying to have forms of church in the best way. Right. Slaveholders would prevent them from that. They did not want them to read the Bible. They did yeah. not want them to know that they're actually equal in Christ. But also, again, slavery is a, you know, a malum natura, Evil of nature, evil against it. And so yeah. there is not Christian principles that led the slaveholders to that. Um, in fact, it, it, it was Christians that abolished slavery. Right. It's Christian principles that led to the removal of slavery. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you carry out what Rutherford said. You carry that out to its logical conclusion that God gives birth and God gives the baby and that all babies are born in the image of God. Yeah. That logical conclusion leads you to say that there is no man um, that is naturally born in slavery and no man who is rightfully um, in servitude. Now, of course, you have imprisonment, which is a rightful thing for those who are wicked and unjust. Um, But... The West at its prime sticks with this right here. At its prime, because it's been claimed that Rutherford's work was heavy influence on Western uh, political theory. Clearly. Clearly. Which is why um, all men born equal. Yeah. All men born in freedom. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly there were some who sinfully held uh, held and mistreated slaves 
in the name of Christianity. But that's what Rutherford is dispelling now, is to say, yeah, they're wrong. So we have examples of that in America, as you, as you said. Some of these slave owners would have gone to church on Sunday, but not permitted their slaves uh, uh, to you know, hold gatherings of worship and things like that. Uh, and those are, you know, that's, you know, that's wickedness. But to your point, that wasn't, <clears throat> you know, to my knowledge, the picture of the whole. Um, or to your main point, that that's not consistently, uh, you can't say that that's Christian ideals played out. No, Christian ideals played out is actually the abolition of slavery. Yeah. Yeah. On that point, I'm actually um, reading a book called The Holy Reich. So I'm studying, I've been studying the Nazi Empire, German Empire, for some time now. And it's wickedness because I've been studying common grace a lot and mm-hmm. common grace yeah. in Germany and stuff. Yeah. And it's it's pretty crazy because it shows that a lot of these evil Nazis did have Christian principles. They were Christian. Yeah. They they would call yeah. themselves Christians. In yeah. fact, um, I found out a few days ago on, on Tuesday reading this book that um, one of the main driving forces of the Nazi Empire was the whole backstabbing thing. We've been backstabbed in yeah. World War One by yeah, the yeah, Jews. Yeah. yeah, that that was first quoted, or that was first claimed in a Protestant sermon that a preacher preached that in a sermon. Mm-hmm. He had this um, really flattened, pancaked, old covenant view of the land. Like, this is our land. This is the promised land. And the reason why we're not experiencing prosperity is because there's wickedness in our land and we've been backstabbed. Da, 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 da. That claim came from a Protestant Christian. Now, Wait, he it, thought Germany was the promised land? Basically. All right. They thought that All it right. was Germany versus the world. All right. God yeah. versus Satan. Yeah, yeah. That's the premise of the book, released by Cambridge University Press. Okay. So it's not like just some nutcracker came up with this and quotes know, and there's, stuff. There's a few of those at Cambridge now, but. Well, that's true. <laughs> but the point is this. Does that mean that that is the logical conclusion of Christianity? No. Absolutely no. Yeah, yeah. not. No, 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 no. We got to stick with, I mean, using Rutherford's line of argumentation. This means this, therefore, this means this, therefore, this means this. And here's the scripture proofs all for these things. Well, it's not just logic. It's, it's, it's like anything else. You can twist the scriptures to say what you want, but what, what does the Bible say? Exactly. And what, what are, um, you know, what are good, right, um, uh, uh, inferences and applications to make from what the Bible actually says. Yeah. Of course, of course, there has been false, false Christianity and false practices by Christians who have, twi- you know, twisted or been in error throughout history, but you can't judge uh, but you can't judge. Um, 
but that does, you know don't throw you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because of those things. Right. So well, you can't. You, it's kind of like the outliers type thing. You can't judge the whole by by the outliers. Yeah. For clarification, when I I didn't mean like just logical argumentation. I meant like line by line scriptural yeah, abs- argumentation. Abs- I know what you're meaning. Biblical but, biblical logic. Yeah. I don't I don't have any opposition to logic. Yeah. We kind of do that nowadays, though, like throwing baby out with the bathwater. We, uh, in, in a, a lot of people form their ecclesiology based off of a few hypocrites that they met. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I just can't go to the church because the church is filled with hypocrites. That's yeah, a, yeah. man. That's a sweeping argument. You would yeah. have to go to every single church to be able to accurately say that. Well, in in even but in even outside of that, it's just like, yeah. Why do you think we're at church? It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, the whole gospel message is that uh, we're a sinful people need of grace of redemption. So why are you surprised when you show up and find sinners there? It's like, uh, I don't go to the hospital because there's too many sick people there. The uh, funny thing about that argument, too, is that those people are saying, look, I am so tired of all these people that... um don't practice what they preach. It's like they're claiming they always practice what they preach and that they've never acted hypocritical. Or all these people are hypocrites, or, but I've never yeah. acted hypocritical. Yeah, or forget that. I'm not going to. Uh, now, that there's a legitimate thing. I mean, the scripture the scripture tells us to uh, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and things like that. Yeah, it you despises hypocrisy. Yeah, it despises hypocrisy. Uh, so I'm not saying like, oh yeah, well it's okay to be hi- hypocritical, um, but yeah. Anyway, this is. I think we've you get it, yeah, you get it. I think we've um, pretty well covered this chapter or this se- segment section. I think we've stuck with this, it. This is good. I'm I'm glad we're trucking through it. Sorry, sorry that I failed to finish my reading this week. No, I'm you're a okay with that, man. Well. There we have it, another one in the books. CD and D2 coming at you recorded and direct from the classic cast where we just rolled it. Oh, 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 oh.